Tomorrow will mark the 51st anniversary, 51st anniversary of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision that took place on January 22, 1973, uh, that legalized abortion everywhere in the United States. And since that time, in America, there have been over 63 million unborn babies that have been aborted. And unfortunately, that number keeps, keeps climbing and growing. Now, things have changed. In June of 2022, there was another Supreme Court decision, the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization decision, in which the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, ending the federal right to abortion. However, this did not uh, remove abortion. This did not uh, outlaw abortion, but it returned the decision about abort abortion to individual states. And different states have handled this differently. There have been some states that have uh, had more uh, restrictions on it, and there's others that have uh, gone the other way. In Michigan, uh, the optimism, I think, was, was short-lived. Because in November of 2022, uh, Proposition 3 was on the ballot, which passed, and which put into the Michigan State Constitution a constitutional right to abortion, uh, pretty much across the board. And uh, when you read the language, pretty much for, for any reason. Now, at our church here, part of our doctrinal statement is that we are uh, pro-life. In our doctrinal statement, it, there's a section that reads this. It says, we believe that all human life is sacred and that from the moment of conception, the unborn child is a living human being created in the image of God and must be valued and protected both before and after birth. This is something that we've taught on. Two years ago, uh, we did a, a five-week series in January called Life is Good, uh, where we looked at this pretty in-depth. And I hope that's a good resource that you could look back to, uh, even after today, uh, for additional material on this uh, to equip you, or if this is something that you're still thinking through, I hope that it would help to persuade you. We also did a message uh, after the Roe v. Wade decision uh, when that was overturned. And so you might think, well, why are we talking about this again? And at this point, what good is it going to do? Because we're kind of stuck with this. It's in the Constitution. That's why I wanted to talk about this again. Because I think there's a danger that we have right now is experiencing fatigue in this. There's something, it feels like uh, having to work on this and work on this and uh, setbacks, and this is just never going to change. And it's real easy to feel this sense of fatigue and to just uh, to give up. That's why I think we need to remember words in Scripture, such as 2 Thessalonians 3.13. It says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. To not be fatigued, to not give up, uh, being advocates for life, advocates for children, for the unborn. And so the big idea I have for you for this morning in this message is this, that we must never grow weary of this work and specifically of persuading each other to value, to love, and to protect all children, including unborn children. Not grow weary in this. And that we're persuading not just others, but ourselves as well. In Proverbs 24, it says this, 10 and 11, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. 
Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Now we do have to face the reality. It is unlikely, unfortunately, that abortion will be legally prohibited in Michigan anytime in the near future. That's probably the reality right now. Um, yes, votes do matter. Being a part of the political process is good and it's important because elections do have consequences. We also need to remember not to put our ultimate hope in politics. And now, I think with the situation that we're in right now, even more, it is important for us to realize that um, you know, having this as a legal thing is, is probably not quick coming, but there's another role that we need to be doing that we should have been doing and continuing to do all along. And no matter what state you're in or what uh, laws they may have, this is what we always need to be doing, is doing the work of um, persuading people's hearts and minds on this issue. Persuading the hearts and minds of individual people that the lives of unborn children are precious and that intentionally killing them should be unthinkable. So don't grow weary of doing this work to help persuade, to change hearts and minds about the value of unborn lives. I think the ultimate goal, no matter what, uh, legal or not, is, is to make abortion something that is unthinkable. And not just illegal, but people still want to do it and sneak out to do it, but that it is something that is just We've changed people's minds, they realize what it is, and they view it as something that is unthinkable. But it's going to take a lot of perseverance and a lot of work to do this. Think of the work that had to happen with those that were abolitionists, uh, fighting against slavery, and just the uh, lifetimes that it took. And some people that did not live to see uh, the, the fruit of their efforts come to pass. And not just eliminating uh, slavery legally, but making it so that um, at least for most people, it's, it's an unthinkable thing. We couldn't imagine you know, having slavery. But that was a long time coming and a lot of work. And we should be praying for and uh, working for the day when we can hope that that's the view that people have, regardless of their politics, regardless of uh, different persuasions, that they realize that abortion should just be an unthinkable thing. Why would you do this? It's something we would not even want to consider. And of course, it's hard too, because there's a lot of uh, forces that are pushing the other direction on this as well. So we need to persuade um, ourselves, people around us, you know, our children, the next generations. Don't just assume that they're going to grow up with the same values that you have. But also there's people that you are connected with, people in your sphere of influence uh, that you can help to have them think through this in a new and fresh way. And I want to say, if you are listening to this message and this is something that you are not persuaded about yet, I hope that in this message I can give you some things to consider, uh, to really think through on this issue, recognizing that this is a hard issue, a hard topic. Uh, there are difficult, legitimate, difficult circumstances that people have been through and that probably there's people... Uh, <laughs> listening to this that have been through. And so I also want to emphasize just again the grace of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for sinners and that the blood of Christ is there and is available for any sin to give us cleansing and to give us hope. So one thing as we think through this, uh, we can't say everything that there is on this issue, 
Uh, but one of a few things that I think are helpful to remind ourselves of, helpful to remind other people of, and I think one just a foundational thing is this, that legal and moral are not the same thing. Because it's easy to think, well, of course, this is something that is okay now. It's in the state constitution. You know, a majority of people that voted, you know, put it there. And so this is, it, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's moral because it's legal. And sometimes people make the mistake of equating those two things, that legal is moral and moral, that they're just the same thing, but they're not. And if you think about it, uh, it doesn't take long to think of examples of things that may be legal, but they're not moral. Okay, if you're married, um, I guess it's legal for you to go and cheat on your spouse. Okay, I mean, it's legal for you to sleep around all over the place, you know, married or not, but is that moral? No, it's not. It's not good. It's not going to be good for your marriage, your life, and it's not something that God would approve of. It's not a moral thing. Uh, for the most cases, you can, you can lie about people. They might be able to sue you in certain circumstances, but uh, that's, uh, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's a moral thing, that it's moral. Uh, you can be an absolute jerk to everyone around you, and maybe you have the right to be a jerk, but that does not make it good. It does not make it a moral thing. Uh, you could get just um, plastered drunk, or now you can get uh, you know, stoned, uh, pot out of your mind, uh, but that doesn't mean that that's moral either. Moral and legal are not the same thing. There can be examples the other way too. Things that are considered illegal, uh, but they're actually moral things. There are places and situations, well, countries, where you cannot tell somebody about the love of Jesus Christ. And to tell them that Jesus Christ is the true Son of God and that he died on the cross and rose again and that he's the only way of salvation. There are countries that, where that will get you thrown in jail that might get you killed. Uh, and the government of those countries might come after you. There's things in our world, too, where there's where speaking the truth about certain subjects in different places uh, can be considered uh, you know, illegal or you know, banned. Uh, but moral and legal are not the same thing. And so we need to remember this, that morality does not come from votes. Okay, human uh, leaders, human um, government officials can't really decide what is moral or not. I mean, there's some rules they can decide what a speed limit is, but they can't really decide if something is immoral or not. And it, hopefully our laws would reflect morality, but uh, you can't vote to change things. We can't have a vote about the Ten Commandments to decide if, which ones we want to keep and which ones we want to strike. That's not how it works. In the same way, we think about rights. And rights, ultimately, at least the deep rights, the rights that are worth having, uh, are not something that come from people. They don't come from the government. They don't come from votes. They don't come from referendums. True rights. A lot of people in the world, they really are concerned about rights, and I have a right to this. But I need to ask, where do rights actually come from? I mean, the real rights that really matter, uh, we recognize they come from the creator. They're not things that government gives. Government can recognize these rights and ought to. Uh, the Declaration of Independence talked about the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it said that these are inalienable rights given by the creator and that the government's role is not to grant us these rights, 
uh, but to recognize and protect these rights that we already have. And so if you think that rights are just the government or votes can give you those rights, then you have to say, well, the government or votes you know, could take these things away and you can't really complain because that's all that rights are. But if rights are something that, that exist and come from the Lord, then they are something that are, are deeply ingrained. And the best we can do is try to recognize the real rights that are out there. And we recognize that human beings have value, that they're created in the image of God, that all human beings are valuable because they are created in the image of God. Genesis 1:27. so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we believe this is true of all human beings, regardless of their age, regardless of their level of development, regardless of those, their size. And also we believe that innocent human beings have the right not to be killed. I think that's a right that we have, a right to life. And this is true whether the law recognizes it or not. I'm saying innocent human beings. Uh, there's ways that you can you know, forfeit this if you're a serial murderer. I believe it is the state has the authority under God uh, to carry out the death sentence because of that. And Genesis uh, 9 talks about this as well. But as far as innocent human beings, at least as far as the human standard, we, all, we recognize before God we're all sinners. Uh, but people that have not done anything to deserve or warrant this from the government uh, have the right not to be killed. And you know, this is not merely a religious belief. Now, as Christians, we know this is true even more because we recognize that people are created in the image of God. We know that there is a commandment. It's number six, saying, thou shalt not murder, okay? But to say that, well, okay, your views, they're just religious views, so we don't have to worry about them. Well, what about murder? What about, you know, lovely neighbor, all these things? There's certain things that you can say that uh, you can recognize that these are true uh, you know, regardless if you're a Christian or not, that God has revealed this to us in our hearts and the, the natural order as well, too. It's not merely a religious belief to recognize that innocent human beings have the right not to be killed. Non-Christians can also recognize this um, as well. So the first point, that legal and moral are not the same thing. I think it's just helpful to realize that. So even though there's certain things that are legalized, uh, abortion, or there's other things that we could have as examples too, that doesn't mean these are good or right things to do. Second thing that I think we need to keep remembering and persuading people and focusing on uh, is this, the question of what is it ultimately that is in the womb? And to remember that the thing that's in the womb is an innocent, living human being. It's essential to focus on this and not get distracted by all side issues, uh, by other things that, uh, possible scenarios that don't happen that much. But what is it that's actually in the womb? Because if it's not a human being, uh, then the view changes. If you wanna say, well, the real issue is, doesn't somebody have the right to do whatever they want with their body? And you say, well, for the most part, that's true. Although there are probably some examples we would all agree with as well that you shouldn't be able to harvest organs or, uh, but for the most part, we could say, you know what? Yeah, if, if you wanna have a tooth pulled, you can have a tooth pulled and there shouldn't be something that stands in your way. If you have a mole on your face that you wanna get removed, you can do that. If you have a tumor that you wanna get taken out, you can have that tumor taken out. 
But when we talk about the unborn, are we saying that that's just, it's just a tumor? Are we saying it is just uh, a tooth or something like that? And if we recognize what is actually in the womb is a distinct, innocent, living human being, then the whole thing changes. It's not like having a tumor removed. It's not like having just a, a little lump of your flesh uh, that is removed. It changes everything. What is in the womb is a distinct human being with a distinct genetic structure. Uh, science backs this up. Okay, the science of embryology uh, tells us that the unborn is a living, distinct, whole human being. Okay, it is living. Life has already begun. It is not potential life. It is already life. It under, has the characteristics of life. Cellular reproduction is happening. Uh, it is growing, it is metabolizing, turning food into energy, responding to stimuli. It is something that is distinct. Um, your tooth is a part of you, okay? If you have a mole, it's even kind of part of you. Uh, but this, whatever is in the womb, is distinct from the mom. It has, it is not technically a, a part of mom's body. It's in mom's body, but it's not a part of her body. Uh, it is a distinct, separate entity. And one way that we know that, it, it has its own genetic code. If it was a part of mom, it would have the same DNA, uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't have the same DNA as mom, not the same as dad. It is distinct because it's a distinct human being. Oftentimes, it's going to have a, even a different blood type than its mother. 50% um, have a different uh, gender than their mother. Uh, so they're not the same thing as a mother. This is something that's different. It's, it's living, it's distinct. You know, it's whole. There's not some other part that needs to be added to it later on in order to make it a human being. Now, before conception, it's different. Uh, when there's just a sperm or an ovum, that's not a human being yet. Uh, but afterwards, it has everything that it needs, and it's just going to continue to grow and to grow as a human being. But it already is a human being. It, and it is a human being. It's not a different species. It will develop from within if left to live, and uh, be born as a human being, because that's what it is. It's been said, you didn't come from an embryo, you once were an embryo. And this is a big deal. This is a living being. And if it is a living human being, we need to treat the unborn as living human beings. You know, biblically, there's a lot of verses we can look to and we have. One I'd remind you of, uh, we just celebrated Christmas. If you look at the birth accounts of Jesus in Luke, Luke 1 and Luke 2, it talks about the baby that was in Mary's womb. And there's an account where uh, Mary meets with Elizabeth and John the Baptist, the baby in her womb. The same word for baby is used for Jesus in the womb as is used for Jesus when he's in the born and he's in the manger. They use the same word. They view it as the same thing, whether you're in the womb or out of the womb. It's good for us to remember the truth that there are many things that do not change the essence of a human being. And we went over these in the, the series two years ago, but this is good to remember. This is the acronym SLED. These four things, size, level of development, environment, which is location, or degree of dependency. Size does not give you more human rights. 
Okay, tall people do not have more human rights than short people. Okay, um, a kid uh, does not have less value than a full-grown adult because they're smaller. And in the same way, you keep going as a baby, does that mean that baby has less human rights uh, because it's just a baby? You keep going down uh, to when a baby is um, not born yet, okay, there's no point where you say, well, it's, it's not big enough to count as a person. It's not big enough to have rights. It's not big enough to have value. Size is irrelevant as far as the essence of what a human being is. Level of development. If you believe that the more developed you are, the more rights you have, the more um, uh, that you are more of an actual person, uh, do we believe that it is, it's more okay to kill a kid uh, that hasn't gone through puberty than a teenager or an adult because they're less developed? We would say, no, that doesn't change the essence of a human, be human being. So yeah, level of development does not essentially change who we are. Environment, where you're located. You know, if you live in a certain zip code, does it make you, in reality, more valuable or less valuable than somebody else? It doesn't change your personhood. In the same way, whether you're on this side of the stomach or the other side, uh, doesn't change uh, the essence of who you are. There are babies that are born prematurely, babies that are uh, taken with a cesarean section, uh, with that type of birth, and just being on one side or the other, they're the same thing. And it shouldn't change the essence of their value. And even degree of dependency. Sometimes people say, well, the baby's the unborn baby is dependent on its mother, and therefore it's okay to terminate that baby. Well, we all have different degrees of dependency. None of us can really totally make it on our own. Um, but you know what? When you were an infant, you were dependent on your mother. You were dependent on your parents. And that didn't mean that it was uh, more okay to terminate you at that point. So these are all things that they don't really change the essence of a human being. And so you can't at some point say, well, you, you didn't hit a certain threshold, and th therefore uh, you don't have a, a right to live or a right not to be killed. And let me say this, because sometimes we think, you know, when uh, a baby is real early on in development, we think, it, well, it doesn't look like a baby. Although in reality, if you actually did look at a, a very small infant, and I know there's some displays out there at the, uh, the table um, in the large foyer, you'd see, wow, that's even really little, that's a baby. You can make out the, the different parts, and they have their organs, and even when they're really little. But what if you said, well, there's a certain point where it's, I can't, I can't picture this as being an actual human being. For the sake of argument, let's say that you aren't sure at some point if it really is a living human being in the womb. But let me ask you this. At what point could you say with certainty that the unborn is not a living human being? Is there some point you could say, well, I know for sure. And if it's a matter of intentionally ending that life, shouldn't the burden of proof be on making sure that you know that's not a living human being? And so even if you were unsure, uh, the right thing to do would be to say, I'm going to value this because it might be something. You know, if you didn't know that a, a room was, maybe it was empty, maybe it was full, you wouldn't say, it's okay to gas that room because I don't know if there are children in there or not. 
You would say if there might be children in there, we sh- you shouldn't gas the room or whatever because uh, you want to err on the side of protecting life. A third point that I think is also helpful for us to remember, to explain to others, to help to realize, um, is that abortion does not make it so that the pregnancy never happened. That might seem obvious, but I think it's so easy uh, to let ourselves be fooled or just not think about it, especially in difficult circumstances, to not think about what's really happening and to just imagine that if you're in a difficult situation, that this just can just erase it. This can just make it so it never happened. And yet we want to have lots and lots of sympathy for incredibly hard situations that many women find themselves in. Okay, so we, don't want, we do not want to be calloused about this. Uh, and whether they find themselves in this situation one way or another, uh, but abortion does not reverse time. And we can't fool ourselves into thinking that it does. It doesn't make it so that the pregnancy never happened. It doesn't uh, go back and undo time so that it's a doover and uh, the, the pregnancy never existed. With an abortion, we have to remember what is actually happening, that there is a child at some level of development and what is happening, and whether it's a surgical abortion or a chemical abortion, is that somehow that child is being intentionally caused to die and then has to be removed from the mother's body one way or another. Um, That is the reality. It doesn't make it so that the baby never existed. It doesn't erase a mistake. Now today, you probably didn't think the pastor was going to quote anything from Britney Spears. Probably didn't come here thinking that. But I read an article um, that came out in November this is by Catherine Jean Lopez, published in National Review Online. Uh, but I thought this was really powerful and worth thinking about. Of course, Britney Spears, uh, famous um, pop singer. I'm going to read some from this article. Uh, in the book, it's referencing Britney Spears' book, The Woman in Me, published 2023. She reveals an innocence that was robbed from her. Her family life was viol- volatile. She believed that she was in love and she had resources and yet she felt she had to do what the young man in her life told her to do when she became pregnant. And she talks about at the time she was uh, dating Justin Timberlake. Um, And she says, I was just so in love with Justin, just smitten. Uh, Again, speaking about Justin Timberlake. Quoting Britney Spears, she says, at one point when we were dating, I became pregnant with Justin's baby. She writes this in her book. She says, it was a surprise, but for me, it wasn't a tragedy. I just love Justin so much. I always expected us to have a family together one day. And this would just be much earlier than I'd anticipated. Besides, what was done was done. But Justin definitely wasn't happy about the pregnancy. He said, we weren't ready to have a baby in our lives, that we were way too young. Timberlake, the article says, didn't want the press to find out, uh, as Britney Spears relays this in her book, so he insisted, she writes, that she go to a hospital for the abortion, that she not go to a hospital for the abortion. And she had a chemical abortion at home. 
Quoting Britney Spears again, on the appointed day I took the little pills, she remembers. Soon I started having excruciating cramps. I went into the bathroom and stayed there for hours, laying on the floor, sobbing and screaming. They should have numbed me with something, I thought. I wanted some kind of anesthesia. I wanted to go to the doctor, I was so scared. I lay there wondering if I was going to die. Most abortions today, this is the article, most abortions today happen with pills at home. She describes in her book what most abortions in America today look like. She continues, quote, when I tell you that it was painful, I can't begin to describe it. The pain was unbelievable. I went down to the ground on my knees, holding the toilet, and for a long time I couldn't move. And to this day, it is one of the most agonizing things I've ever experienced in my life. I kept crying and sobbing until it was all over, Spears shares. It took hours, and I don't remember how it ended, but I do 20 years later remember the pain of it and the fear. And after that, I was messed up for a while, especially because I still did love Justin so much. The article concludes, that is the experience of a girl who you would think would have all the resources in the world. I pray that Britney Spears can appreciate what a blessing she has given women who have had abortions or who currently feel the pressure to abort their babies. She loves that child that she never got to hold. Many women have the same experience but don't have the outlet to express their pain or grieve. I don't know that Spears would join the March of Life this year, but she has done something much more important she has shared her pain, and she's talked about something that is so raw and real, and that politics often curtails a real conversation or substantive debate about. And one thing that struck me in this reading it, I mean, not just the, uh, how awful the chemical abortion actually was. And sometimes it's made to think that it's a simple thing, just take these pills and just your problems just go away. Um, but also the fact of she really didn't want to do this, but that she was pressured by someone. And sometimes we think of abortion as uh, just a, a women's issue, and there's a sense that it is. Uh, but I think we need to focus on the culpability that comes from, from men, from boyfriends, uh, just random, these men that um, are part of getting the woman in this situation and then pressuring them to have these abortions and just how wrong that is uh, to be doing it, so putting that pressure on them. There was a recent peer-reviewed study, and it said that nearly 70% uh, of women with a history of abortion described their abortions as inconsistent with their own values and preferences, and it said that one in four, 24%, described their abortions as unwanted or coerced like one in four, that they really didn't want to have that abortion, but they were coerced or pressured by someone. There was another study that had similar results that said that over 60% of women who had abortions reported high levels of pressure to abort from one or more sources. And we think sometimes it's just you know, a decision, but you also think how much some people are being pressured into something that honestly they don't even want to do, something that they recognize deep down is not right. You know, as we think about this and we process whether uh, 
in our hearts and minds, we believe that abortion should be something that we're okay with or not. Again, just realizing the reality that once a child exists, it should be loved, protected, and cared for. I mean, is that something that we believe or not? There is a difference between you know, a theoretical child or one that hasn't been conceived or doesn't exist, and once it actually exists. I mean, it's one thing to talk about a, a potential toddler, but if you actually have a toddler there, that's a, that's a reality. And whether you wanted if you, that toddler or not, no one would say it should be okay to, um, to terminate that toddler. It's a life that exists. And if even in the womb, it's true that what is in the womb is a, a living, distinct human being, an innocent human being, that's a new reality. Now, preventing conception, I believe, is not inherently wrong. There can be wrong ways that you know, can be done, and there's certain ways that can have different problems, but most Protestants actually do not object to both birth control in this way that the Roman Catholic Church officially does. Um, and of course, um, uh, you know, except if it causes an abortion, um, there would be different ethical issues if you use it so that you can have sexual immorality, uh, but just preventing conception is not wrong. I mean, abstinence is the best way to do that, waiting until you're married and ready to have a child before engaging in the type of activity that is likely to bring a child into this world. Um, and therefore, yeah, one of the things that we need is better value of, of marriage and sex and responsibility in our society. Uh, but once a woman is pregnant, there is a different reality. A child exists, and now there's a new a reality, a new moral reality at play. And then we, we have to remember that abortion then is intentionally killing a living human being. That is what it is, and that is why it is morally wrong. You know, in doing research for this, I came across a video talking about, um, it was from somebody that was an abortion doctor. And he said that he had performed over 1,200 abortions. And in this video, he described uh, what abortions are like at different stages, from a chemical abortion to different trimesters. Um, I'm not gonna show you this. I'm gonna give you a link to it. I know it's a lot of letters to write down. I'll try to post the link here when we put the video online, um, or if you wanna snap a picture or something. Uh, it's a short video. It is not um, graphic in the sense that uh, it doesn't use real you know, pictures or, or video. Uh, he uses kind of um, simple drawings, uh, animated to show, but it, it would still be tough for us to watch here. Uh, but I want to encourage you to watch it. Parents, after you watch it, I want to I encourage you uh, to consider showing it to your kids. If you want to create pro-life kids, let them see what abortion really is. And there's a lot of people that are in favor of abortion that would say, well, you shouldn't watch this, and you shouldn't have anybody watch this. And the reason is we don't want to think about what abortion actually entails. Because if we can imagine that it's just, you know, this, this nothing that's in the womb and this blob and that it's just disappearing, it's easier for us to just imagine it's not a big deal. But when you actually think about what it is, uh, that makes it a lot harder. That's why people, when they see ultrasounds, they're much more likely to decide not to have that abortion uh, but to let that child develop and to live. Um, think about this, if I showed a video, even like an actual video of a heart surgery, 
You might not like that because of, you know, some blood, but you would probably not be morally offended by doing that. But there were some people that would say, if we showed um, even, a cart, even a simple animated video of an abortion, they'd say, that's wrong to do this, to show this. And I think that shows that deep down we know that what is happening here is something that is morally wrong. And that the way that people try to deal with this is to not really think about what is happening in an abortion. Number five, what we need to keep doing to not grow weary, uh, to keep persuading uh, hearts and minds as well, is to keep caring for people from the beginning of life to the end of life. That is what we're called to do. So we need to care for the unborn, for born children. We need to care for the disabled, for the elderly. That's why in the series we did two years ago, we had a message on, on euthanasia and uh, that we should value life until the end. So from uh, unborn to the, the end of life and everything in between. I shared some of the statistics with you as well uh, before, but in that, some of the statistics, 67% of women describe their abortions as something they accepted but inconsistent with their values or preferences. Uh, and that 24% said it was unwanted or coerced. Only 33% identify their abortions as something they actually wanted. And I read across this statistic, it said 60% would have preferred to give birth if they had received either more emotional support or had more financial security. And that's something we need to realize too. And so part of what we need to be doing is not just railing against something or depending on hoping that you know, the government or laws are going to do this, but we need to actually be living out Christian love and caring for people. Caring for people, not just that have made all the right decisions, uh, but also that find themselves in difficult circumstances and difficult situations. And I think for those that say, well, you pro-life people, you Christians, you just care about birth and you don't care about anything after that, that is so not true. Think of all the pregnancy resource centers that are out there. As I mentioned, there's more of those than there are abortion clinics by people that care about life. Uh, that it's not just about you know, keeping them from having the abortion, but it's coming alongside them. You know, coming alongside these women, these moms, and giving them counseling, giving them practical needs, clothing, uh, diapers, all these different things. And that's why we support different agencies like that. We support, uh, as a church, Alpha Women's Center in Hastings. And we have the, the fundraiser that we're doing. That's another way that you can be involved in this, you know, tangibly giving help. And maybe there's other ways that you can uh, donate, that you can uh, donate your time as well. There's time, too. It doesn't have to always be organized by the church or by a clinic. It's just coming uh, alongside people or letting people in your life know that if they ever are in that situation that you're still going to love them, you're still going to care for them, that they're still going to receive help. But I think, too, of ways that Christians, <laughs> it's not just that they care about the unborn, but they do care about the born. I mean, I think of people in this church, and I think of how many have adopted children. I think of how many have had foster children or have foster children, and sometimes even really difficult situations 
I take a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of heart and a lot of grace and that are um, not just saying they're pro-life, but putting that into practice in ways that uh, take a lot of um, energy and strength and, and tears and sweat and sacrifice. Uh, people that have done guardianships, coming alongside people in many difficult situations. Uh, think of examples, even from the past year, people giving diapers to those in need, clothing, financial help, time, mentoring, practical help. We had the clothing exchange uh, that was organized by ladies in our church. They're talking about doing that again. It's just another practical way to help uh, people that are in difficult situations. So the thing we need to think is that we're not just talking about helping, but we want to actually be helping people. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Don't just hear the right thing to do, actually do it. We need to find the things and actually put these things into practice. Also in James it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Caring for people in these difficult situations that need help. Another verse in James 4.17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, reading some other articles too about different pro-life approaches, um, there are things to think about too. It's not just a matter of laws, but you know, how do we come alongside people? How do we help them? How can the church, how can individuals? And thinking through what, is there, what role, healthy role is there for uh, the government at different levels, local, state, um, to come alongside people? I wanna make this comment because sometimes he said, well, one thing that we need to do too is expand the social safety net. And to make it easier for expecting moms in difficult situations to decide to keep their kids. And what I wanna say is that is something we really do need to think through carefully. As we think through uh, voting, we think through policies and what things we wanna come along with. There are certain things that, yeah, it does make sense to have things uh, that are in place to help people. I do wanna say also that no, this does not mean voting socialists on every issue. Something that gets turned back and says, well, if you really believe this, you basically have to vote socialists on everything. I say, no, that, that's not what it is, but we do need to think about what policies are actually going to help the most and hopefully help and not hurt. Because um, sometimes there are well-meaning policies that sometimes backfire and do the wrong thing. Uh, <clears throat> I was talking with a pastor in another state that at that state it had a policy, and I think it was well-intended, um, and I don't know if they still do, but they had a policy that if you were an, a, um, an unwed mother, uh, that uh, you got free college. And I think they put it into place thinking, yeah, this is something, you know, if you find yourself you know, unwed and you have a child, uh, that's gonna make it really hard for them, so let's give them free college, and that's gonna help them to develop skills and probably meant it very well. But as I talked to this pastor, he said, and he could point out examples of uh, young girls that he was working with uh, that he knew that had told him that they had gotten pregnant on purpose so that they could have free college. It's like, that's not what was intended. And so my job here is not to be policy expert. You know, there's a certain role as a pastor, okay? And uh, 
it's not going to be to, some churches are like, the, you know, they have opinion on every policy and pretend that you can back everything up scripturally. But what I can say as a pastor is part of our calling is also as citizens and part of your calling as a citizen is to do the hard work of thinking through what is actually going to help people the best and thinking through this and advocating for these things or just doing some of these things yourself. They are difficult issues. And again, this is not me voting socialists on, other pe- on every issue. And don't fool yourself into thinking that you are really generous if you're only generous with other people's money, okay? We wanna be people that we're generous with our own resources, our own uh, time, our own money, and not just voting to give money from other people. But these are complex issues. And ideally, political parties should think together on what's really going to help in the long run and not just focusing on special interest groups or political power grabs, but doing the work of thinking what's actually going to help people. But we also need to do what's in our power. It's not something we just delegate to the government as well. And I think part of this as well, long term, what's really going to help is teaching and modeling a better ethic of marriage and sexuality. I mean, as a culture, we have let this slide for decades now. Not viewing marriage and sexuality in the order that it's supposed to take place and with the right intention, and it's created so much of this havoc and so many, so many of these problems that would not exist if people did things in the way that makes sense. That happens to be the biblical order, but also other people have recognized this is what works best as well. You know, getting married at the right time, the commitment of marriage should come before sex. That we need to teach people to respect women, to not use them as pleasure objects. Because just, we need to change this mindset, because just expanding the social safety net from the government isn't going to keep dad from running off. But that's what marriage does. That's the purpose of, a big purpose of marriage is that these two people are committing to each other for a lifetime and to any child that might come from their union that they're going to be together for this. Let's uphold marriage as we speak about it and how we live it out with our lives too. And the last thing and maybe the most important thing for us to remember is that no sin is too great for the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive. And so whether you have Um, been impacted by this, whether you've had an abortion, whether you've coerced somebody into an abortion, or whether it's some other sin. That you haven't committed this, but guess what? You've sinned. We all have sinned. Scripture tells us, Ephesians 1-7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That we have a God that is rich in grace, rich in mercy, rich in forgiveness. And it's not that he just makes it so it never happened, it happened. It's not that he just excuses it, but the blood of Christ has paid for sins. And if you turn to Jesus Christ, the Lord, is, and trust in him as your savior, you'll find one that has paid the price for all of our sins and whose blood and whose sacrifice is available for our cleansing, our forgiveness for taking away our guilt, that Jesus Christ took our guilt on the cross. He took our shame, he took our hurt, and he offers us credit for his righteousness and forgiveness and love that is in him.
So whether this is something that has been part of your life or some other sin, I want you to know that Jesus came to die for sinners. And that's me and that's you. And will you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as the one that died to save you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for helping us to think about this heavy issue, Lord. Lord, help us to be more and more persuaded in our hearts and minds and our life to think about this right and to live it out in the right way. Lord, may we come alongside those that are facing difficult situations, Lord. Lord, may we influence people in the right way with these issues, Lord. And Lord, we do long for the day, and we pray that it would come, uh, where this would be, abortion would be as unthinkable to people as slavery, Lord. And Lord, if you tarry long enough, we pray that day will come. And Lord, we do long for the day when you do return, and you bring justice to this world, Lord God. Lord, thank you that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Not the perfect people, not the good people, Lord. And we are not good and we are not perfect. But that anyone, regardless of their sin, who turns to you will find an all-sufficient Savior in Jesus Christ and one whose blood cleanses them from all sin and guilt. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.